Father, we, we know you through Jesus Christ. By your spirit, we have experienced your goodness this morning. By your spirit, we have an actual, meaningful, real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can say we have been with him. And we pray that it would be so that our community could say that this church and these saints, each of us, have been with Jesus and that our boldness, our courage, our clear, hard, loving words of the gospel that come from hearts transformed by the one that we've come to know, that this testimony would be uh, attractive and make Jesus unavoidable in our community and from our church to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We'll open with me and a copy of your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts is in our New Testament. It's almost all the way to the back of the Bible. If you're new to Scripture and you can find in your index or in the index in the Bible in the pew in front of you, uh, the page number for the book of Acts, and we'll be in chapter 4 this morning. Uh, We had such a nice time this last weekend. Our elders and deacons uh, joined together for several hours on Friday night and then for all of Saturday morning to pray uh, to God, to ask Him to work among us and in us and to give him thanks and praise for all that he has done in us and in our church in the course of the last year. Sometimes we just need to take long hours out to make sure that we don't miss all that he has done and all that he is doing. And friends, I wish you could have been with us, um, but alas, it is just for elders and deacons. Our elders' wives were able to join us as deacons' wives on Friday evening, and that was a treat. Uh, At the end of our service this morning, we're going to appoint... Uh, a new elder, Chris Fraley, and we're going to pray for him and appoint him as a congregation and pray as well for his wife, Mary. So we'll look forward to that. Well, this is our second in a four-part series titled Going Global, Following Jesus to the End of the Earth. Last week, we looked at the question of where we go, and this week, we, looked, we look at the question of what. That is what we have to take with us, what we have to send to the end of the earth. Sometimes in leadership we ask, what are you like under pressure? Pressure can be revealing. Well, pressure can also be productive. It makes diamonds. So let's go diamond hunting this morning in Acts chapter 4, the first preacher and the first church under pressure. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and Elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers of the peoples and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may, not, it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with all the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, there's quite a lot there. We need to wind the clock back to three o'clock the day before. Peter and John were making their way to the temple to pray. This is only shortly after the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised, was sent and gave birth to the church. Then he spoke in different languages. It was evident that the promise that Jesus had made, the promise that was given in the Holy Scriptures from ancient uh, years past, 
had come to fulfillment, not only in Jesus' death and resurrection, but in the birth of the new covenant people, Jesus' people. His kingdom was here in the coming of his spirit in the birth of his church. Many believed and the church was formed. Well, John and Peter were making their way to the temple to pray. It was about that time of day and the place was bustling as expected, people moving about as they did. And there was one man, typical as he always was, being carried to his spot. He was about 40 years old, no younger, and crippled from birth. And for as long as anyone can remember, we may suppose, he found his way to the same spot. He was a familiar face. His ailment was familiar. He got walked by. No doubt he got helped financially. He would sit there and ask for alms. Day in and day out, his friends or family would carry the crippled man to his spot and he would beg. Same spot, same thing, asking for money. And this is when Peter and John are walking by, perhaps new faces to him, and he catches them, he sees them, and they turn their eyes to the man. Almost, you can imagine the camera zooming in, everything else getting blurry and dark. You can see the parties. There's the man on the ground, 40 years old. Here's Peter and John. They turn their gaze, the text says, to the man and say, look at us. And the man looks at them and he is fixed upon them. He asks them for money and they reply in this way, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He wasn't expecting that. He wouldn't have known to ask for that. And anyone who heard them say it would have thought, what are they thinking? And then he stands up. The story tells us he's jumping, he's leaping, he's walking, he's praising God. He's all over the place. People are moving around and attention is drawn to him like, what happened? Almost like a bomb went off. No, it's the man. Did you see him? He's jumping. He's leaping. He's praising God. He's well. He's on his feet. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew where he belonged. Everyone knew what he was doing there. And everyone wanted to know what just happened to him. And so they gather to Peter and John, and it says that the man clung to Peter. <laughs> uh, one suggested it was almost like maybe he thought Peter was like a battery pack. Like, I need to hang with this guy. I've never walked before. Um, maybe he was just learning to walk and so didn't quite have his balance. Maybe the leaping was partly about that. Didn't know what to do with his with his legs, but he clung to Peter. And as he clung to Peter, Peter and John proclaimed the gospel and they preached the gospel. This specific incident in this specific location with this specific man entailed a message for all the world that was itself the culmination of all of history to that point. He'd never walked before and here he was. He clung to Peter, and Peter preached. The response was mixed. Which brings us to chapter 4, where we just began. In verses 1 through 7, we have mounting pressure. Mounting pressure. The people gathered to Peter and John, but now the leaders were showing up. What's going on here? What's the commotion? The leaders showed up. You can lose count trying to keep track of the names and the, the types and the kinds of religious leaders, but they're piling on the priests. The captain of the temple shows up. The Sadducees showed up. They're all greatly annoyed. 
There was mounting pressure on these leaders. There was theological pressure. Sadducees were distinguished for their rejection of the resurrection from the dead. And here was a man gathering to himself a crowd of their own hearers preaching the resurrection from the dead. A groundswell of interest in the resurrection with miracles and preaching and and conversions. Theological pressure was mounting on these On these leaders, there was also political pressure. Peter and John were teaching the people. Oh, they were not to teach the people. That wasn't what they were authorized to do. Not authorized so. But they gathered a crowd and the whole scene threatened unrest and a riot. So there was mounting pressure on the leaders. There was also mounting pressure on these apostles. They were put behind bars, silenced. Put them away from the people so they can't talk. Or if they talk, they can't be heard. Just get them to stop. That's what the state wants at its worst. And they were put behind bars, but then they were put behind the council. And here we get more names in verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Same council that tried Jesus. John and Peter should not have expected a fair trial. Remember how that went last time. Sometimes we ask, what would you say with a gun to your head? What would I say with a gun to my head? It's it's kind of a morbid experiment. Is there another way to do it, to get it across? The point is, if I only had a second and if everything was on the line, what would I say? Well, this kind of pressure is helpful at getting to the point, shall we say. What do we really believe? And how much do we really believe it? Well, here's the gun. It's a question. Verse seven, and when they had set them in the midst, they're in the middle, surrounded by the council, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? And friend, here's one way to know if you're a Christian. This is either the last question you want to hear or it's the answer to your most earnest prayers. It's either the last question you want to hear at a moment like this, or in a moment like this, you find out if you're the real deal. Would you give it all up? Would you go to the cross? Would you follow Jesus where he went? If you believe him, you will follow him. You will not all be in this exact position But if you believe him, if you're his, be encouraged that if you were in this position, you would follow him. And maybe some of you will find out. I don't know what the Lord has in store for any of us or for you here or anywhere else. What will they do? Will they obscure the truth? Will they backtrack? Will they deny Jesus? Well, Peter had done that only weeks before. He was not yet indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And I suppose we can deny and repent. But as long as we have denied, we are not safe. He denied Jesus to a little girl as he warmed himself by a fire in the shadow of the cross. Well, they try to couch it in terms easier to receive. Oh, some of us have softened and obscured and dodged the gospel under much less pressure. Gone 40 years in a career and no one knew we were a Christian. 
you're not safe. Will they obscure the truth, backtrack, deny Jesus, couch it just so? And it's here in verse 8 that mounting pressure and multiplying names surrounding the men leads us to a three-point service about sermon about one powerful name. The name of Jesus, verses 8 through 12. Did you hear it? Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, that's chapter 3, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. Everyone listen, that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, gets personal, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Point one, look at this man Jesus is alive and well. Jesus performed miracles in the course of his life as a confirmation that he was the Messiah, as promised in the scriptures. And he appointed his apostles, and he appointed that his apostles would do the same in these early years for the very same reason, to confirm that they were in fact sent from him. It was to teach us what to expect in the next life. It had a purpose in compassion to a degree. Though it included that, it was in the main not to teach us about what to expect in this life. It was to teach us what to expect in the next. The Messiah will bring full healing. And that age has dawned in the birth of the church. And this man's jumping and praising God is a sign that Jesus is alive and well. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Point two, look at yourselves. Not only is Jesus alive and well, but this Jesus is the one you killed. You're the builders of Israel and you discarded the wrong stone. You look at one stone and it has a crack and so you discard the stone. You looked at another stone with a, a smooth edge and you, you kept that. You looked at another oddly formed stone and you, you discarded that. You looked at a stone with a marking from Nazareth, not worthy of your temple. And without any further consideration, you discarded that stone. Well, that stone was God's precious cornerstone. It would be the, the cornerstone to mark its, its beauty, to indicate its lines, to provide for its stability, and it is perfect, and it is precious, and it is the Lord's. It was him. He is responsible for this miracle before you, and you are responsible for his murder. Point three, look at your options. Jesus is the only Savior. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. <clears throat> and here is our diamond. What Peter is saying, what is Peter saying exactly? What does he mean? These are words under pressure. And you will hear these either as shimmering, shimmering facets of a diamond or as sharp edges that cut. I pray the former. Anyone who knows them as the former <clears throat> has known them to one extent or another 
as the latter. We invite you to see this as a diamond. What does he mean? He means there is no other name. This is an exclusive statement, and we have to drill down. No other name where? No other name in Jerusalem? No other name in the pantheon of of gods represented by, by Rome? He means there is no other name under heaven. No other name anywhere. This one man's healing at this one spot holds a message for the whole world for all times. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This local event comes with a universal claim. And he's been making claims like this in chapter three, after the healing, when he stands to preach. You killed the author of life. So this man's healing, that's a message to you that you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. That's pretty universal. Jesus is the fulfillment of scriptures from ages past. He's citing all kinds of Bible verses that they should know. Moses said, Peter preaches, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. That's Jesus. And Peter says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things. That is Jesus, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus was promised long ago, and he's the one that will sum up all things. You are sons of the prophets, he preaches, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jesus is the one way that God, one exclusive way that God makes a universal statement and offer to all of humanity. How can this be, you ask? How can Jesus be the only way? Well, I'm glad to answer. And it's okay to puzzle over this. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, if you're here because you've been asking questions about Christianity, maybe you stumbled in this morning, maybe you took someone up on an offer to join them at church. Maybe you've been coming for a while and just watching and listening. I just encourage you, keep doing that. You're doing the right thing. You're in a good place. It can't hurt to come, right? Even if you don't believe, it can't hurt to come. And we'll pray you believe. And maybe you will. But listen, if you're intrigued, listen. It may be that God's at work to draw you to himself. Ask the hard questions. There's more to say on this subject than what we'll cover this morning. How can he make this kind of a claim? How can we make this kind of a claim? We don't make it up. Uh, We are doing our best here at Heritage to read the Bible and then to to believe and then to say and to speak what it says, Uh, to be honest with ourselves about Scripture. We don't don't make things up. We don't kind of decide what we'll believe and and vote on it. We don't put our finger to the wind and decide. There's security and comfort in knowing there's an anchor for the things that we say around here. And you can challenge me. I get emails sometimes, what do you mean by this? And I should be able to account for the things that I say in the pulpit. Your elders care deeply about this. It is part of our job to guard and instruct in sound, in sound doctrine. In fact, without that, we have no job. Our ministry of leadership is a ministry of the word. How can we say here? How can I say right here? How can we believe in this room that Jesus is the only way? Well, because of our problem, simply put, the Bible says that we're condemned under sin. Even in chapter 3, Peter will preach to his hearers and speak of this generation 
as marked by wickedness. Ever since Adam's sin, we've all been born in sin and guilty with him. And Jesus is the only one who's qualified to save us from that. He's the only name because he's the only one qualified. He's the only one that can bring us to God because he's the only one that can take your guilt. He's the only one who met all of God's righteous demands in his life. He's the only one who bore all of our sin in his body and his death. And he's the only one who could do that, qualified to do that for us because he is both like us as a man and he is the Lord. Now, if we redefine God so that he'll accept us as we are, and merely overlook sin, well, that is a different God. And he is not a just God. Neither is he safe. The God of Scripture is holy. He is the creator of all things. He is perfectly pure in all of his thoughts and deeds. And he can stand not any single sin, and you and I stand before him condemned as sinners. But this God has made a way for sinners like you and me to stand before him forgiven. And that's by a qualified savior. One that is like us, who is himself the Lord, who is perfectly righteous as is required of us, yet who suffers innocently for the sins that we have committed. And it is by Jesus dying in our place instead of us that we can be saved. Jesus, is the, his name is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved because he is the only one qualified to actually save given who God is and given our problem before him. So I appeal to you to believe on the Lord Jesus and to respond to the sermon that, that Peter preached on these pages and to join us as the church. If you're at the bottom of a pit, you need a rope. If you're in the middle of ocean, you need a boat. If you're dead, you need a resurrection. And if you're guilty before a holy God, you need a substitute. You need Jesus on a cross. And that's what he did. And that's why there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than this. Well, here's another sparkle, or depending on how you hear this, an edge, another sparkle of the diamond. What about those who never hear about Jesus but sincerely believe the religion they were raised in? Oh, our minds and thoughts should go to the ends of the earth to people that have never heard this name. Our minds and thoughts should go to those precious people who bear his image in places where the gospel has not reached. People who do sincerely believe the things that they, they believe. Some will say that Jesus is the only Savior, but you don't need to believe in him specifically. You need to believe in someone or something merely sincerely. And I'd probably make exactly that up if Scripture were not so plain. But Scripture confronts me with the truth of the gospel, God, my problem, and how it may be solved. What would Peter say to that? Well, he's already spoken to that, even in this very line although maybe it's more subtle. There is no other name. There's no other name. That's personal. 
Acts 10.43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Or Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name, his name must be called upon. Everyone, that's universal offer. Everyone who calls on the name, that's exclusive, of the Lord will be saved. And friends, this is why we send missionaries, right? Because we care about men and the women at the end of the earth. As we'll see in our last sermon, we don't have enough compassion to get all the way there or to sacrifice all that will be needed to get to the end of the earth. We need even higher motives and deeper motives than that. We'll explore that later. But this is why we send missionaries. And this is why God has sent us to the end of the earth. Romans 10, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Which is why he can say, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. It must be taken. It must be spoken because it must be heard in order to be believed. And this is why some of you need to go. In due course, some of you need to go. And the rest of us need to send. There will be more required than your aspiration or passion or personal sacrifice for that to happen or for a church to embrace that and partner in that. We'll explore how the who of global wishes works next week from Acts 13 and 14 if you want to read ahead. But no one will go coerced, only compelled by the glory of God and the need of every woman, man and woman at the end of the earth who needs this name to be heard. There is salvation in Jesus' name and there is no salvation apart from it. And if we don't believe this, let's just skip it. Let's just skip the whole thing. Let's not send people to the end of the earth. They're safer without us. This kind of message evokes a response, does it not? Peter was bold on that day. I count three responses in our story. Three responses from verses 13 through 31. In the scene to follow, we see how the authorities responded to the message. Their response is that of silencing the gospel. Authorities banned all preaching of Jesus in that next paragraph. The only reason it was not more severe is because of the people and the pressure. They acted in self-interest, a calculated decision made out of, out of fear. There's a second response, impossible to miss, the church's response. And how do we respond? How would we respond? Fear, arguing about the prudence of such preaching? No, they pray for more boldness. Wow, did you catch how unexpected that was? I didn't expect that when I first read it. They're released from prison and surely they'll hang their heads and contemplate the matter. Nope, they're praying. More boldness, God. How can they possibly pray for more boldness? And therefore, how can you and I pray for more boldness? Risk-taking courage with the gospel. Well, we look to them. They 
They pray to the God who is bigger than any threat. Sovereign Lord who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's big. They know to whom they pray. When we sit down at the dinner table with our kids' dads, let's pray to our Father in heaven. Let's also pray to the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And maybe you'll raise a missionary. That's a bit bigger than the authorities that stood about them. That's a bit bigger than Rome. They also pray to the God who laughs at every threat. So he's just not big, but like, it's hilarious to him to see the nation's threat and rage against the son and his people. Verse 25, the Lord who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves up against and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. That was spoken in Psalm 2 at the beginning of our psalm book and prayer book in the Old Testament. It is picked up on the lips of Jesus and in the New Testament, one of the most quoted books, one of the most quoted texts to explain what happened at the cross and what's happening around us where Christians are persecuted. We think of ISIS only a few years ago because of their recent defeat or near defeat. They're back in the news. That's good news. But so are the pictures of so many Christians' heads on the seashore with a warning. Click this link if you want. The death of our brothers and sisters. God laughs. Why do the nations rage? Well, they raged against his anointed at the cross. And God was defeating his greatest enemy. It was through the cross, what appeared to be a great failure on Jesus' part, his undoing, and the forfeiture of all God's plans was in fact his victory over sin and death and hell and the means by which you and I can be saved. And God laughs at his enemies. And so they can pray for more boldness because their God is bigger than every threat. He's the sovereign Lord who made it all. And he laughs, as Psalm 2 tells us. They also pray to the God who's not surprised by anything, not even any of this, not even the cross. Get ready for some theological tension. The Bible leaves us with it. Verse 27, for truly in this city... Listen to all the parties involved, all the responsible parties, all of the guilty parties. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Four parties and a whole lot of people. What were they gathered together to do? <clears throat> to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what trouble really are these troubles? No trouble at all. They pray, bring it on. If it means the gospel will get to the edges of the earth, give us more boldness. By the Holy Spirit, give us more boldness. 
There's a third kind of response here, not to be missed. Many believed in Jesus and praised God for salvation. See verse four. Remember the response was mixed. It's easy to see the gathering of of, uh, officials and religious leaders around the church. It was easier to see the the crowd rallied around around Jesus. But verse four, but many, but, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about, about 5,000. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of people. That's not counting everyone. That's what the Holy Spirit was pleased to do through the preaching, through the preaching of the word. At a time when Christianity was not normal. That's where the power is. It's in the word. You had to believe that. A man from Nazareth who is hung outside the city, is your only hope. And that doesn't sound like something you can couch. I mean, we shouldn't um, repel anyone from believing the gospel. There are different sermons for that on account of our tone or our spirit or our manner. But I mean, to a point, this whole thing is nuts. When somebody doesn't believe the gospel, don't think they're crazy. Uh, they're in the, their right mind so far as every other person they may have ever met is concerned. Uh, and what they need is a miracle, which is why we pray. These people, numbering the thousands, were believing that the crucified criminal outside Jerusalem's walls, around whom was gathered Every religious official and Roman, and Roman power is their hope for eternal life and reconciliation with God and a new creation. That's what we're asking people to believe. That's what we've come to believe by God's grace and by the miracle, the regenerative miracle of his Holy Spirit. It's a little weird. It's very foolish. It's not a little dangerous, but it's what we believe. And it's what they believed. So heritage, what does all this demand of us today? What does it demand of us? First, know the gospel. Friends, know the gospel, study it. There is, to an important extent, uh, a level of understanding you need to seek that you won't have on the first day that you're a Christian. Words are important. Clarity is important. So that when you're on the spot, you can say something like this and not flinch. Fuzzy thoughts about salvation won't save anybody. There's a certain content that needs to be gotten across and it needs to be clear as to what it means and it doesn't mean there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The mission that we're on to the end of the earth requires that we know exactly what we're talking about and that those we send know exactly, exactly what they're talking about. as important as any preacher who has to speak an hour a week. So a missionary may speak less, less publicly, but no less potently. Justin Taylor um, recently wrote this, a good question. Where are all the universalist evangelists? Where are they all? going to the ends of the earth, painstakingly learning and transcribing hitherto unknown languages 
and suffering opposition up to and including the prospect of martyrdom so that they can deliver their message of final salvation for all. We don't do that, folks. And Heritage Bible Church, we can talk all we want. We're not going to do anything that sacrificial. We're not going to get to the end of the earth if we don't believe the gospel that is preached on these pages. And if we're not clear as to what it means and doesn't mean when it comes down to it, when the gun is to our head. So friends, know the gospel. Second, speak it. If we don't speak the gospel here among our neighbors, it might as well be banned. Could someone tell that the preaching of the gospel is not banned by looking in on your life? That may be a convicting and a sharp word. I'm okay with that. I'm convicted by the sharp words on this page. But may I encourage you to look out for every opportunity to grow in this? There is great encouragement to be had by hitching yourself to a Christian brother or sister who is clear in their own mind and confident and winsome in sharing the gospel? Is there a Christian at work who is easy with their words and um, seems to, to have a way in prayer and in speaking and in leading over time their friends to an understanding of the gospel? Seek them out in their encouragement. There are some books that we recommend around here that can be helpful. You can do that without even being around the church. In your free time, we have some classes that we, we offer that can stir your affections and increase your, your clarity and elevate your confidence to speak. Know the gospel. Speak the gospel. Third, lean into controversy on account of the gospel. They didn't run. They took the questions. If you're used to couching things so that they're maximally accepted, but not saving anymore, be careful. By all means, let us not speak the gospel in a way that repels people by our tone or spirit, but let us not miss a word because we're afraid they might not like the truth. It is their only hope. If you're in an ocean, you need a boat. If you're in a pit, you need a rope. If you're dead, you need someone to say so. And then offer you Jesus, the only qualified Savior, whose name is our only hope. Lean into controversy. If it gets a little awkward, that's like a good thing. That's what's supposed to happen. The gospel is awkward. Fourth, heritage, raise up and send out missionaries with this gospel to the ends of the earth. This one man's healing involved a universal message and everything that God has done in us at this spot on our corner, in your home, in your life, speaks a universal message. It is, it is something to display and commend the gospel truth to anyone anywhere that will hear. And finally, Pray for the Spirit to empower his messengers everywhere to speak the gospel. So we look at ourselves as we look at the page here, but this also helps us know how to pray for our brothers and sisters far out, in the bush, at the edges, in the dark. It's the Spirit's work, not ours. 
We obey by speaking clearly. May we pray that they would obey by speaking clearly and boldly. And may the Spirit empower us and may the Spirit empower those whom we partner with to speak. And may he save. Apart from the Spirit's work to save. It's like growing up and you get all those, uh, you you get a toy for Christmas and it says batteries not included. Mom and dad didn't buy any batteries. I can't play with it. It doesn't work. Whatever it is. Uh, No fun. Well, Christianity is a lot of talk. It's, It's mouths in motion and sound without the spirit to save. And so, friends, we pray. Know the gospel, speak it, lean into some controversy, raise up and send out missionaries and pray for the spirit to save. And let us pray that by our speaking and by our boldness that our neighbors might say of us something of what, something of what those religious rulers said of Peter and John. Do you remember? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a qualified savior. We thank you for being honest with us in the scriptures about our problem. We thank you for being gentle with us. We thank you that Jesus was gentle. We thank you that your great love for the world and for us is apparent in the story of the Bible. But we, we also thank you on a day like this, after a scripture like this, for really clear, even really sharp words that tell us the plain truth of our problem. That we are condemned under sin and wicked and that there is only one way out, but that there is a way out. And not just out, but there is a way back to you. There is salvation for us and it's in Jesus. And Father, I pray for our church that we would be clear on the gospel, that when all the pressure is on, we would know, we would know what to say because we're busy saying it to ourselves in prayer. We're busy praying for those moments and boldness and we're busy speaking the gospel and all that pressure isn't on. Pray that we would be clear on the gospel and that we would be bold with the gospel and that in your time, according to the unity that your spirit gives us, that we would partner to the ends of the earth, that we would send men and women to the edges of the earth to take the gospel to the nations. We don't know what you'll do. We're eager to see you work though. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.